David Peralta has spent over 20 years learning directly from masters of Eastern spirituality, Zen Buddhism, and Christianity. And he is a master of blending spiritual wisdom with modern entrepreneurship. David, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the at the heart of it, my, my mission here is to help as many people uh, awaken as possible to the wisdom and light of their soul uh, and to learn how to integrate spirituality with daily life. Um, so uh, I work with entrepreneurs. I work with business people, basically anybody who feels like they feel like they have a calling, but they don't feel like their life, their relationships, or their, um, their career is quite, is completely aligned with what they feel that calling is. And what I do is I help them discover, first I help them create a vision for what it is that they want to create. And then I help them learn how to tap into the mechanisms of creation so that they can learn how to manifest and to let their vision manifest through them and to rely on their relationships as a source of the creative energy that is going to create that manifestation. Mm, that's interesting. So tell me more about um, relying on relationships, you said? Yeah, yeah. So um, inside of everybody is a source of power. Every single person is connected to the source of all things. Uh, that creative energy that creates everything flows through every single one of us. It flows through everything in creation, but it most powerfully flows through a human soul. And so when we learn how to open our hearts to another, when we awaken to that light and that love inside of us, and we awaken to that light and that love inside of another, then that flow can occur. We can enter into a direct relationship with that creative energy uh, and, uh, and through opening our hearts to that through others, then that energy can flow into our lives uh, and basically empower whatever intentions we have, whatever it is that we want to create. Um, so relationships are the key to that. So relationships amplify everything is what you're saying. Relationships are the source of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Relationships, it, basically, we only interact with the divine through relationships, through relationships with other people, through our relationship to the nature, through our relationship to the world, we can connect inwardly, right? We discover our own inner connection to the divine, but we relate to the divine through our relationships with everything else. Makes sense to me. I have seen it in action in my life so many times. So how did you end up doing this work? That's a really good question. Um, so it, it's a it's it, it's it's a little bit of a lengthy story. Um, so I, um, since I was very young, I felt like uh, I was meant to live a life of greatness. That's just how it felt to me. Uh, and what that meant for me was a life of deep fulfillment a life of deep purpose, a life where I was meant to make a difference in the world and help other people. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but what I knew was that my life was not reflecting that. Um, I was not, I struggled a lot when I was younger in high school, I struggled a lot in college and university. And what I struggled with was, um, 
I was living according to all the expectations, right? I was, I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing, but none of these things were bringing me happiness. I mean, I think that this is for many spiritual people, this is the case. Uh, many of us realize either early on or at some point in our life that the fulfillment that our soul is yearning for uh, and knows is possible is not going to be found in following the expectations and the scripts that are being given to us, the condition that's the conditioning that's being given to us. Um, when I was 20 years old, I had uh, one of my first awakenings. Uh, I had my first one at 14, actually, but I didn't realize it at the time. Um, and at 20 years old, I had a moment where I realized that all these things that I thought I had to be doing, I had to be going to school, I had to get a job, I had to do these things, I had to do that things, all these obligations that I felt, there came a moment where I realized that I didn't have to do any of them that I didn't have to follow anything that anyone or anything else was prescribing to me. And that there was a voice inside of me. There was an intuition. Uh, there was um, an inner compass, an inner sense that would tell me what was right for me and what wasn't. And so I started following that. And, uh, and that led me to spend six months at a Zen Buddhist monastery. So I actually left university for a year. And um, I was in a Zen Buddhist monastery in Northern California. And I started to have experiences that nobody there could explain to me. Um, and I started to feel energies and connections that nobody could quite explain. And I was just told to sit with them. But I came out of that center knowing, okay, there's more that I need to find out about. There's more that I need to discover. Um, and so I went back home. I didn't really know what to do. And um, I entered into a very deep depression. Uh, I call that my gray period because I, everything just felt gray. There was no life. Like I, I, I couldn't find any meaning in anything that I was doing. Uh, and so at the suggestion of a very close friend, I went to an intensive psychotherapy workshop that was over the course of two weeks, two weekends. And while I was there during the climax, when people are finally starting to open up to whatever core pain they've been carrying their entire lives, I started to feel energy moving through me. I started to feel energy coming in through my heart, through my hands, and flowing to the people uh, that were going through the climax exercise, right? As they were releasing and processing this pain, I could feel this energy flowing through me, and I knew it was healing energy. And I somehow knew exactly how to direct it. My hands started to make all kinds of mudras, and there was just a familiarity to that energy. And after it was done, I had no idea what had happened. I had no idea where that came from. But what became very clear to me was that somehow I was meant to be a healer. I was meant to learn how to use energy to help heal other people because that's what I felt happening. I felt as this energy was flowing to the other participants, it was helping them heal whatever it was that they were going through. So that started a new chapter, a new journey, a new search to find out what is this? How can I heal? And it led me to uh, Qigong masters. It led me to Western medicine. It led me in all directions. Um, but nobody was able to explain to me 
what exactly was going on? What is this energy? Where does it come from? How do we actually tap into it? People could tell me, you know, techniques that they had learned, but nobody was able to tell me what is the source of this energy. Um, and, uh, or at least from direct experience, explain that. And so I was teaching yoga in 2006. I'd graduated from university. And one day a woman walks in and this woman wants to teach a workshop uh, at the yoga studio. And I look into her eyes and I see a light unlike any that I've ever seen. And I've already met a lot of spiritual people who have a lot of light in their eyes, but the quality of light in her eyes had this depth. And I don't know how else to explain it other than to just say that I felt that there was something different about her. And, uh, and so she came back the following week to give her workshop. And uh, as she was preparing and I was helping her, she pulled out a picture of an old man to place on an altar that she was creating. And the moment I saw this picture, my heart completely exploded open. And I started to feel a love flowing through me like I had never felt before. And a recognition that I knew this man and that he was my master. And I had never looked for a master before. I had zero interest in masters. I thought that that's the opposite of what you want in spirituality. But somehow I knew that this man was my master. Later on, I found out it's a picture of Shirdi Sai Baba, a saint who lived in the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century in northern India. So I immediately feel whatever has to do with this guy, I need to know about it. So I attend the workshop. She gives a series of mantras and teachings based on the five elements. And so I do all of them. I, I, I pick up all the mantras. I start to practice them right away. And I start to have all kinds of experiences, the kinds that I'd only read about in books, um, really deep mystical experiences, again, deep sense of connection, energy flowing through me, all kinds of things are happening. And it turns out that this system is coming from a teacher named Sri Kaleshwar, who actually is right here behind me. Uh, for those listening, I have a picture behind me of him. And um, he was going to be coming one month later to the U.S. from his ashram in India. So I went and I met him. And initially, I was very skeptical because I'm not looking for a guru. I'm not looking for that. But when I was in his presence, I could feel an energy and I could feel that he had an understanding and a knowing. So the next, so I kept doing, he taught a specific practice. I did that practice again, had incredible experiences. He came back in December of that year. I saw him again. And in that event, that's when I started to feel, okay, I, I need to learn more from this man. This is the man that I've been looking for. This is the person that I've been searching for my whole life. He has these answers. He knows. He is directly connected to this source. He embodies that source. And that's who I want to learn from. This is what I've been looking for. And so three months later, I go to his ashram in India thinking that I'm just going to go for three weeks, um, but end up staying for six months. And, uh, and so uh, I become a student. He becomes my teacher. And that's where I started to have these experiences of deep awakening, 
of all kinds, right? I started to feel all these layers that I'd been carrying just melting away as I'm doing these practices, as I'm just being in this ashram. Uh, I feel veils between myself and reality, veils of perception, lifting and being able to connect to a deeper reality. Uh, I have all of these experiences. And then in 2010, I'm there for an entire year. And then that's when I meet my wife, Florentine. And she was there from Austria. And both of us were at a place where we were not looking for any relationship whatsoever. And, and uh, we had both gone through some really rocky situations with relationships around that time. Um, so we had zero interest in entering into a relationship, especially at the ashram. We were there for our spirituality, you know, our path. Um, but in spite of that, we started to feel pulled to each other. And both of us felt that neither one of us wanted to enter into a relationship unless we knew it was the one that we wanted to commit to for the rest of our lives. The one that we were willing to go through everything for the rest of our lives. And from the very first conversation that we had, it became evident that that's who that was, that, that we had found that in each other. Um, and uh, we quickly came together and we knew that together we wanted to experience the highest form of love that two people could experience together. And that's what we committed to. And we got married just a few months afterwards. Um, a few months after that, our first daughter was on the way and we went back to the West. We went to live in Austria. Uh, and then that's when the struggles really started. We had made this commitment to experience the highest love between two people. But now in order to do that, we were going to have to purify everything that was standing in the way of that. And so the relationship became a reflection for both of us. Each one of us became a reflection for the other person to show the other person what they were still carrying. And at first, this was very unconscious. So we went through some really hard times. We had some real deep struggles, a lot of fights, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of hurtings. Uh, and this went on for, for years, right? Um, I had to also provide for the family, right? As she's taking care of our daughter, I have to kind of find my way uh, to developing an income, uh, developing a, a brand new career because I had a background in film and in Vienna, this just wasn't working out. And, uh, and so these things are developing, right? I'm developing a career. Uh, things start flowing in that direction. I become a content marketer. I start to specialize uh, as an SEO consultant. That's going really, really well uh, professionally, but the relationship is really struggling both with my wife and with my daughter. And, uh, and so this is when it becomes clear, like I had all these incredible mystical experiences. I had all these deep connections, right? Um, I had all these profound enlightenment experiences. And yet in my own life, in trying to live in the world, I am struggling to integrate these. I'm struggling to live them and I'm struggling to embody them. And so it became a journey of discovering what is standing in the way. What is it that I'm holding on to? What is all this pain, right? What is keeping me from living a life that I always envisioned I was capable of living? And so a deep process of inner healing started to take place because I'd been through a lot of spiritual healing. 
on a soul level, a lot of things had cleared. But now as a human being with human emotions, right, I had to handle that level. And so I went to therapy. I did somatic experiencing therapy, internal family systems, like all kinds of things that worked really well for me to start to release all these things. And once that happened, once I was able to start to uh, remove the blocks, the human blocks that were keeping the spiritual energy from being embodied in myself, right? That's when things started to really flow. Once I started to learn how to really allow my soul to flow through me, how to uh, not be in conflict with the world, right? Not make spirituality something internal where I'm in my process, I'm in my meditation, but when I come out of my meditation, my relationships in the world are an obstacle because I have to fight to hold these states, right? Once I started to be able to relate to that energy, that divine energy that was in me, in everything else, and in my wife, right? Once I start to clear all these emotional blocks, and I stop seeing her as a threat, and I start seeing the divinity inside of her, and I start loving her, and I'm starting to love my children in this way, right? Then that's when the energy starts to flow through me, and then that's when my life starts to take a brand new direction. And that is what then I wanted to share with other people, was how to live a life where we are completely aligned with our source, with ourselves, and there is no conflict with the world around us, right? I mean, I'm not there completely yet. I'm still in a learning process here, um, but I've had enough experience to realize that I can help other people to do this also. I can help other people to learn how to connect to that source through the world, as opposed to feeling like they're living in opposition to the world trying to lead some conceptual spiritual life. That was a good story. <laughs> a lot of it resonates for me, especially the part about meeting your wife and stuff. I mean, I met my soon to be wife through doing this work. And yeah. it wasn't until I was fully immersed in doing this work because for a few years I was doing it on and off and succeeding at it, then failing at it, then succeeding yeah. at it again. And, you know, getting into challenges with business partners and stuff. But when I finally streamlined and I was like, okay, I am going to give this my best shot again and completely block out everything that has been a distraction. Then uh, one day I was just speaking and, and then that's how I met her. And it was like complete um, alignment, complete connection. There were no barriers between us and we immediately knew that not only did we know each other before in other lifetimes, but that we were meant to be together yeah. this time. And it was a, a whole body experience. Yeah. And uh, I think there are few people out there that can really say that for sure. And it's not because that reality doesn't exist for them. It's that there's so much stuff in between them and having that experience and you know, you're, you're talking about you were trying to live in a world, but you were struggling to integrate and embody those mystical and spiritual concepts. And that's pretty much what everybody is doing. <laughs> that's pretty much what we're all doing. And yeah. we, we don't see it because I, as I love to say, you don't see the picture when you're inside the frame hmm. and we just really don't know what we don't know. And that's our biggest um, 
crutch in this life that we kind of lean in the wrong direction, you know? So it's, it's really, um, good to hear that story because I, I like to tell people that marriage is the highest expression of consciousness. Honestly, mm. there's nothing <laughs> like that, that you can get without making a, a huge commitment. And most people think of it as signing your life away, which is an unfortunate viewpoint, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, yeah. And, and it's a, it's a reflection of the union between the divine masculine and the divine feminine, which are the fundamental creative forces of the universe. So when we learn to experience that in our human relationships, then we are experiencing that same union, that same energy. And we learn to express that power through us. Yeah. And it's really great that you're, you're so authentic with the way that you are speaking as well, because a lot of people get carried away on the waves of guruism, you know, it, it takes them <laughs> in an interesting direction. I wouldn't say it's the wrong direction. It's leading them somewhere, but at the same time, they don't bypass, like you said, th those layers that they have to clear and those veils of the programming that they have to delete and um, level up their perceptions. And then it's difficult to really individuate and follow that inner compass because they think that somehow there's a split between their spiritual self and who they are as the human being, you know? Right. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about some of the layers that, of perception that you had to get rid of and how you really found your authentic voice, you know, how you really started listening to that intuition. Because in my experience, almost all of my clients come to me and they're like, I can't hear my intuition. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know which direction the wind blows. <laughs> I just kind of yeah. go with it, you know, and, and they struggle. Yeah, that is a, that's a really good point. Um, I mean, one, one thing that I'd, I'd really like to say is that it is, it's, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a sudden process, right? Like I, I first started to tap into my intuition. I st first started to become aware of my intuition when I was 20 years old, right? But I, then I still went through periods of incredible doubt where I had no idea what to do and where I could not, for the life of me, feel that. Even in India, at the ashram, in one of the most powerful spiritual centers that I've, I've ever felt with, I mean, really incredible levels of energy at this ashram in Penaconda, no idea what I'm supposed to be doing, no idea what direction I'm supposed to go, um, so it's a, it's a, I mean, like it's a years long process. Um, I have to say like in my experience, it's been a years long process, maybe not for everybody. Um, but so some of those layers, right. So it's like in, in my understanding, there is, we can develop our soul, right? So a lot of what we did in India was, um, it was a Shakti path. So in other words, it was a path of connecting directly to the same cosmic power that is creating everything, right? It's what we call the divine mother, the creative force, what's called the Holy Spirit in, in Christianity. Connecting directly to that, right? And then using that energy to, to charge and strengthen and make our soul stronger so that we're able to channel more energy. So that, because the whole purpose of Swami, what, Swami's mission, Swami Kaleshwar's mission was to create master healers, and spiritual masters who are directly connected 
in the same way that he was, in the same way that Jesus was, or Buddha, or Shirdi Sai Baba, right? And so what I learned through my direct experiences was that it is possible to develop an incredibly powerful soul. I mean, a soul that is capable of producing miracles, right? But developing a powerful soul and developing spiritually is not always the same thing as developing as a human being. And that those two things have to merge. And I saw in our lineage and in our, in our path, people develop incredible capabilities, incredible healing abilities, but not have the ability to relate to other people or to treat them, right, with love and kindness. And so in my personal journey, that's what I had to discover. I had to discover what my personal blocks were. That's what Swami calls them, the human blocks, right? The, the emotional and mental patterns that we develop as human beings that keep that energy from flowing through our open heart and from flowing through our body, right? And in my case, personally, uh, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of fear and there was a lot of unworthiness. A lot of, and, and this tracks back to when I was a child. Um, and it actually tracks back for many, many lifetimes, right? I mean, if people can have past life recollections, they'll often have experiences like peak experiences where we develop judgments and conclusions. Like, you know, we're, we're in a lifetime where we're about to have a peak spiritual experience and then we do something and we make a mistake, right? And then we form this core belief that we failed that somehow we didn't have what it takes, that somehow we're not good enough, right? And so now that core belief is now a key part of our mind because there's so much, it's such a formative experience, we now carry that from lifetime to lifetime. And so we can hook into these things, regardless of whether we have past life recollection or not, it's going to manifest in our childhood. <laughs> you know, whatever our core beliefs are, are going to manifest. Whatever karmas we are carrying are going to manifest through our childhood or whatever karmas we have to go through in this particular lifetime, right? It's going to manifest in our childhood. It's going to manifest in the parents that we have and how they're going to treat us and then how we're going to redevelop in this lifetime these core beliefs, most of which are absolutely false. They're based on principles of separation, right? They're not based on the reality of oneness and love. Um, they're, they're misunderstandings, basically. So those were the blocks that I had to uncover, and it was my relationship that showed them to me. Because when I was at the ashram, I was having deep spiritual experiences and then just kind of going and just being in my own world, you know? I had friends, and but I didn't have this close relationship where this part of me starts to come out. And as the more I become intimate with somebody and the closer I become with somebody and the more they behave in ways that remind me of the way that I was treated as a child or that remind me of those core wounds, right? Then these sides come out. The anger comes out. The fear comes out. The unworthiness comes out. The feeling that I'm not loved, that I'm not worthy of love, right? That I don't deserve to be loved. They start to come out. The fear that I'm going to lose love, the fear that I'm going to be rejected they suddenly start to spill out into the relationship, right? And then she's bringing her own side. She's bringing her own blocks. 
And when there's the initial lack of awareness around these blocks, then it's just, they're just bumping into each other, right? They're just creating friction. And not necessarily everybody is going to go through this, but it was true in our case. We needed to go through this. We needed to experience the process of going through these blocks because there are many people who do experience them. Uh, so you can't really help somebody through them if you haven't gone through it yourself. But we went through it. And it created a lot of turmoil in our life. But we were also so committed to reaching that highest goal that as it was coming up, I mean, sometimes it took years before we finally realized this is really basically ruining our life and ruining our relationship. And we need to do something about that. And we need help. And when we started to ask for help, when we started to take responsibility for, okay, I'm not going to blame you anymore. This is actually not your fault. This is something that I'm carrying. And then we start to turn back to the divine and say, help me with this. I'm doing my best to, to open up to this, but I'm really stuck. And so turning to the divine, right? In our case, we had a teacher that we could connect with. He had already left his body, but he was kind of a doorway to the divine for us. So we could call on him. You can call on Jesus. You can call on any divine soul call on the Divine Father, the Divine Mother, whatever our hearts are open to. And then the moment we start to heartfully pray and ask, then the Divine Energy can come and provide solutions, either insights or just clear things in us or actually bring into our life a therapist, right? Or a nutritional supplement that's going to help balance our biochemistry, right? And then step by step, we go through this and then it's the next layer and then it's the next layer and then it's the next layer. And there has to, I, we had to have this determination that no matter how hard it got, we had to keep going, even though there were moments where we felt hopeless and helpless, like there was no way out. We just felt stuck in whatever loop we were in. But eventually, because we never gave up, <coughs> excuse me, eventually there was a breakthrough eventually there was enough cleared and enough lifted, right? Eventually I was able to open up enough to the pain that I had been carrying that had been causing me to behave in this way, what I had locked inside, right? And once I started to be able to open up to that, right? Now my heart was truly open. And that's in what I've learned about spirituality. That's the key mechanism, is the open heart. That's the key to bridge the spiritual and the human, the soul, and our physical experience is the open heart. And when we have painful experiences that have closed our hearts, excuse me, When I had all these painful experiences that had caused my heart to close, then there was no way that all of this development and evolution that my soul had gone through could flow through me. It was literally blocked. And once my heart started to open, it started to open to everything. So in other words, now I could be open to things that had been too painful for me as a child, emotions that had been too painful for me, my soul could stay open and blossoming while I experienced these things. And so once my heart and my soul were able to be open to the fuller range of experiences, 
my heart could stay open to others as well. So now my heart could stay open to my wife when she is going through a difficult moment, when she is going through a difficult time, I can just be present, hold space, be still with her, right? And now, because of all of this work that I've done on a soul level, when my heart is open to somebody else, that energy is flowing through. That love is flowing through. That divine love is flowing through in a way that it couldn't before. And that is transforming, right? And the same thing is happening through her. When I'm opening my heart to her, and her heart is open to me, then huge love, huge energy is flowing into my life and empowering me. Um, but it took going through those blocks and those human layers to get to that point. And we're still going through them, by the way, but we're going through them from a different place now. Um, we're going through them from a place where we are able to be with them as they come up, or even if they take over a little bit for a little while, it's not a long time before that openness can reestablish itself um, and we can re-enter into that state of union. Well, David, I hope that some people who are listening will send you an email after this <laughs> and ask you for advice because I find that um, a lot of my clients, which are men, they struggle with their relationships yeah. and they are carrying societal programming, these expectations. You know, there's a, there's actually a book by uh, Philip Zimbardo, I think it's about the demise of guys. And mm. it, it, um, it describes very beautifully how society has shaped men into ignoring that part of themselves that has the capacity to, acknowledge that the pain that they feel in the present is yeah. as a result of childhood or, or past lives because I, i'm constantly harping to people that the childhood trauma narrative is overplayed and it's just like it's used as a plaster on every wound now where <laughs> sometimes you poke around in somebody's subconscious mind and they were successful as a child they were joyful as a child they were completely satisfied with the way their mm. parents treated them but their problems are coming from an experience in a different lifetime or they're coming from a decision that they made in early teenage years or early adulthood and you know they're 55 and they're screwing up their life because they made a decision that changed their positive uh early childhood programming into something negative as an adult and um it, it's interesting because I feel like in any case, there's these fragments of ourselves that exist on all these different timelines that creep up on us and they just kind of go, hey, let's go screw something up, <laughs> you know? And then before you know it, you're arguing with your best friend or your wife or, you know, a parent or whoever, and, and it's just completely closed off and we get into this narrative inside of ourselves where... Anger is not love. Sadness is not love. Every other emotion is not love somehow. It's not love that's trying to be expressed or it's not something that's trying to be resolved so we can reopen and reawaken and recenter and move forward. Many people want to stay stuck and, and I'm just giving you an account of what I see that people bring and, 
tons of people send me emails when they listen to the guests and stuff and they say, oh, these are what my problems are. And I realized that it's valuable feedback because it tells me what's going on out there. Yeah. And it, it was really good to hear you say what you were saying because it is the ability to relate to other people with love and kindness that we lack the most. Mm. Uh, people think that because you're angry, because you're sad, that that in, is an indicator of having a closed heart, but not necessarily, right? I mean, I would say that oftentimes uh, it can be an indicator of having an incredibly sensitive heart. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that as a sensitive heart, that's the, those are the strategies that we develop to respond to a world that, um, you know, when we did not have a discerning mind felt like a threat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how could you not feel like there's a threat? There's always something going on and, you know, something as simple as, not knowing what it feels like to be safe yeah. or, you know, maybe it's not safe to be loved is a program that we have, or it's not safe to succeed or it's not okay to express your truth because it'll somehow threaten your, your lifestyle or threaten the people around you or, you know, society won't like you or I'm not good enough. That's a huge core belief that most people carry in one way or another. Yes. And they're always at risk of developing it, even if they think they don't have it. It'll come up at some point from somewhere. And um, it just, I think that it's the real pandemic, honestly. I'm not good mm. enough is the real pandemic. And that's what gets the majority of us into a lot of problems and we don't know how to solve. So I was just curious if you could provide a little bit more insight for everyone about that. And then I want to move into Sri Kaleshwar's teachings. Oh, sure. So more information about the, the impact that I'm not good enough has. Yeah. Yeah. Because I get Man. a lot of emails of people and they're like, you know, some guests said this and it got them to think about this. And the things that you're saying are, are incredibly healing and it, it will provide a lot of ground for people to stand on to mm. really ponder I would hope so. I, the concept of being good enough means in their life, you know? Yeah. Ah, uh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. That is, um, it's a virus. Yeah. It really is. It really is, uh, a virus that has infected most of humanity. Um, if we, if we aren't living in, no, let me put this a different way. When we experience separation from the divine, yeah, and everybody does, it is a part of being human. The moment the umbilical cord gets cut, these are part of the teachings of Sri Kaleshwar, when we're in the womb of our mother, our mother's womb is connected to her mother's womb, and that goes all the way back to the divine mother's womb, right? In other words, the divine mother's womb is the entire creation. And so when we are in our mother's womb, we are having a direct experience of oneness, both with her and with the entire creation. We're in a state of total bliss on a soul and consciousness level. So we experience that, and we experience the joy of that. So every soul has a memory of that even in this lifetime, the moment we come out and we emerge from our mother's womb and that cord gets cut, we are now experiencing separation. 
and it is painful. <laughs> yeah, it it's is our really, first wound. Exactly. That's exactly right. It is, it is profoundly painful. If we are not, the, the only antidote to that is to have an unconditionally loving mother who is completely connected herself. If that's what we had, like Mother Mary, for example, right, uh, the way that Jesus had, then we have somebody who themselves being connected to the source is loving us and loving our soul. And that's a solve. That's, that's the balm that our soul needs so that we can hold both the experience of separation and the feeling of oneness together at the same time. And we don't get lost in the separation, but that is not what happens in 99.9% of the cases in, in this world right now. In fact, it's the opposite most of our mothers are themselves wounded. Their own hearts are closed. Their own hearts are, are, you know, clenched shut because of the pain that they've experienced. So when we come into this world, not only do we feel the pain of separation, but we do not feel the presence of that deep divine love that we need. The mother's love is there and it's profound. Okay. It's a human love, but it's not always enough to give our soul that boost that it needs to stay up. And that pain is so strong, the soul starts to come down, right? It can't handle it. It can't stay in that experience, right? Uh, and so the illusion starts to cover, right? The karmas start to play on that soul. Um, and anytime we have another experience of separation, anytime something happens that is painful and we don't have that unconditionally loving presence to let our soul know that it's okay. It's okay that you're hurting because you're okay exactly the way you are. You are connected to the divine. You can have this experience and you're going to be fine, right? Because we don't have that, eventually we start to develop these feelings and these thoughts that no matter what we do, it isn't enough, right? Especially if we have wounded parents who they're following their own programming are not able to hold unconditionally loving space. They don't have the ability to look at their own emotions, right? They don't have the ability to look at what they're carrying. And so anything that is uncomfortable for them is to either be shunned, rejected, fought against, right? So if a child is expressing pain, this hurts. This experience is painful. The way that you're behaving towards me is painful. And they express that as anger or outbursts or difficult behavior, right? Then there's not an understanding of that. And boom, that gets batted down or whatever the reaction is. Then there's this feeling of, I'm not okay. I'm, we start to develop all kinds of strategies to win our parents' approval and to win our parents' love because it's not flowing in an unconditional way. And so then we start to develop this feeling of, no matter what I do, it isn't enough. I should actually say that this is my personal experience. This is my personal reflections because I think people might have different flavors of it or might have something completely different. So I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah, yeah. there's so many different flavors of it. But what you're saying, you know, it's not different from a lot of other experiences I've heard. And um, I definitely know what it feels like to have a similar experience with my parents. My parents will never admit that they did anything less than imperfect. <laughs> you know? And there's some people that are like that. If they, I think we have to learn to live with that. 
Yeah. We have to realize that that's a manifestation of their wounds and that's not our problem really. Yes, it exactly. Might, it might sound cold, but it's not our problem. Well, they did their best. They yeah. did their best with what they had, you know, with where they were at that time and their ability or inability to stay open to what they were carrying. So it's totally understandable. And that's why it's so important that we forgive them. Yeah. Uh, that's why it's so important. Forgive them and, you know, forgive them and move on. Cause it's not, we can't make anybody see any differently than, you know, how they see it's for them to realize. I think sometimes we get into the spiritual mode and we, we want to forgive, but we don't want to for, forget, stuff, you know, like just let it go. <laughs> like you were saying earlier about moving through and that's exactly what we need to do. We need to move through it, move past it and just let it be. It's called letting yeah, go for so, a reason. <laughs> say again, I'm sorry. I said, it's called letting go for a reason. Yeah. Letting go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll jump back on that, but I just, kind of wanted to finish the, the, the through line that, that was, that I, that I was talking about, if that's okay. Yes. yes yeah. Please. So, uh, in my experience, cause I'm going to start to talk more directly from my experience. Um, what happened to me, right. Was I then started to try to find ways of behaving, right? So first of all, what happens is I'm no longer living from my soul. My soul is trying to express itself through me and that starts to get batted down. So now my mind starts to take over, especially as my mind starts to develop and my mind, right? My energy starts to move away from my heart, move away from my soul, right? Because these experiences are too painful, starts to move up into my mind and my mind starts to take over and starts to take control. And it starts to consciously and unconsciously find ways that I can behave that is going to win approval and that is going to win love, right? But the expectations are not being spoken right? I'm not being told how I'm supposed to be in order to somehow magically unlock my mother's heart. And so what happens is this battle, this internal battle of I'm constantly trying to behave in a certain way to win her approval. It doesn't work. I get emotional and angry. There's a reaction against that. And so what ends up creating is this mindset and this core belief that it doesn't matter what I do. It's never enough. I'm not enough just the way that I am. In order to receive love, I'm not enough. And no matter what I do, it's never enough. So now fast forward 30 years later, 35 years later, and I'm a successful professional who is still plagued by this, right? Um, I mean, not so much more. Like the tendencies are still there, right? But when I was not conscious of this, no matter how successful I was, no matter how much feedback I got that I was doing really good work and people wanted to keep hiring me and recommend me in the work that I was doing beforehand, I was constantly in a feeling, constantly feeling like I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough. I was constantly terrified that people were going to judge me, that people were going to reject me. I, I, I was terrified of sending emails to people because I was afraid that if I didn't word it perfectly, if, if it wasn't perfect, then I could be rejected and I could re-experience this pain that I experienced as a child. And once I started to become aware of that, it was like, oh, I can talk to that child. I can take care of that child. I can tell that child that you are enough. I see what's happening. You are just feeling scared. You had this painful experience. And most importantly, it's I, 
it's okay to now feel that pain. And let's feel that pain together because you don't have to hide it away anymore. You don't have to push it down anymore. I can keep my heart open now and I can be that source of love for you. And it's not me, it's through me. I've opened up enough to the divine. I've opened up to Jesus, the mother, the father. So now I'm here to provide you with that love and for you to feel that love. So now we can hold both together. You can experience the oneness and the love and experience the pain at the same time so that the pain doesn't take over. It can be integrated, it can be processed, and then it can be transformed. And it doesn't stick anymore. And so that's been, that's been the core process that I've had with getting through that I'm not enough. And the tendency is still there. That's something that Sri Kaleshwar said. He said, um, 25% of your blocks will always be there. You'll be able to wash 75%. But the tendencies, the habitual movement in that direction is always going to be there, but we will have a different way to relate to it. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. So I'm not enough. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a core wound that a lot of people have. Uh, a heartbreak that a lot of people carry. Yeah, it really is. Um, we were going to talk about something else. I think we forgot. You you said uh, the teachings of Sri Kaleshwar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that could be a, a whole other podcast or like two or three different episodes because uh, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, Jenna tried to give me a little taste of it and I was like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. It, it, it's so much stuff. Um, but I mean, what was the first thing that really impacted you? When I was learning from Sri Kaleshwar? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. The first teaching or the first experience? Well, okay. What was the first teaching that hit you hard enough that it made a major shift in the way you thought about things and you, you implemented new practices? Um, Okay, there were a lot, right? Yeah, but I, I would imagine. say that there was the, the the moment where I started to realize this is this is a teaching on a different level. Was um, there's something called the Sri Chakra, uh, and the Sri Chakra he refers to as the blueprint of the Divine Mother's womb. So the whole creation is um, can be considered as the womb of the Divine Mother, and the Divine Mother, right? There's a there's a point called the Nada Bindu. And the Nada Bindu is that infinitesimally small point where on the one side is creation and form and everything that we see and experience. On the other side is the formlessness, pure consciousness, pure potential, pure silence, pure stillness. The link between the two is what's called the Nada Bindu. And what we call the Divine Mother the Holy Spirit is the force, the energy, the consciousness that sits at the Nada Bindu and pulls the formless, the seed of the formless through the Nada Bindu into the creation and gives it vibration. It gives it everything that comes through a unique vibration. And that becomes the building block for the entire creation. And so the teachings that struck me was, there is a yantra of the Sri Chakra, and it's, a, it's, it's two sets of concentric circles 
with several triangles that go through. And this is a, a representation of the structure of how this mechanism works. And on the outside of the outer concentric circle is a ring of petals, like lotus petals. And inside of every petal is a bija. And each bija is uh, a seed sound, a seed vibration. Like if you break down all vibrations into its elements, you're going to have these individual syllables. Uh, like ya, ma, ta, ra, ja, ba, na, sa, la, gum. It goes on and on. When you combine, so the first layer is just these singular bijas. The second layer is the first layer bijas combined together. So now you have ya, 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 ma, ya, ta, right? The third layer, you start to develop additional combinations. When I saw that, I had this insight that, oh, that's everything. Everything is made that way. Swami also said that these bijas are angels. In other words, when the Divine Mother is pulling the seed of the Divine Father's energy into the creation, what she's creating are angels. When we take those vibrations, when she takes those vibrations and starts to combine them together to form more complex vibrations, like you can look at a tree, you can look at a dog, you can look at a rock. And if you have that inner knowing, you would be able to see what the combination of vibrations is that has created that. But what it also means is that it is a combination of angels. It means that the entire creation is made up of angels. Everything is angelic energy. Everything is angels, the whole creation. When that dawned on me through his teachings, that's when I realized this is next level stuff. <laughs> because that's how we relate to the creation. We connect through the angels. It is the angels that do God's work. In other words, it is God's will is expressed through the angels. And so God's will is constantly being expressed through every single thing that's being created. And it's only stopped me, by the way, at any point, because I have a tendency, I will go deep down a rabbit hole <laughs> of these teachings. Um, God's will is constantly being expressed. God's consciousness is contained. His seed is contained inside of every single bija and inside of every single angel that makes up all of creation. But in the creation, there's a process of evolution. And at some point in that process of evolution, right, it starts to go from the very basic forms of matter like minerals and rocks. It starts to evolve into plants. It evolves into animals. And at some point in the process of the evolution of consciousness inside of creation, we start to develop beings that have the ability to be self-aware. We have a beings that have the ability to awaken to that consciousness. And those are human beings. Our soul is one of those angels that has evolved to the point where it can inhabit a form that is capable of reawakening to our fundamental nature. And once we reawaken to that fundamental nature, we see that fundamental nature in everything. 
And that's what we relate to. That's what we connect to. That's what we love. We start to experience God's will being done through everything at all times. Hmm. Yeah, you got me with that one. <laughs> Sorry, what was thinking that? About, I said you got me with that one. I was just thinking about what you were saying deeply because I've heard some of this before, you know, and um, it still resonates the same way that it does. Um, this is the first time that I would have had anybody on the podcast talking about this kind of thing. And I was just trying to think of the question to ask you. Do, um, do, you, mind, do you mind if I bring it down for a little bit? Because that's what, that's what my wife is all the time telling me. It's like, man, you go way up into space and you're talking about this. Please bring it down to earth. Yeah, you can bring it down if you want to. I just wanted to ask you this question first. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, what is one simple thing that everyone listening can do to access God's consciousness? Oh, yeah, okay. It's in a word, it's love. It's love. When we love, whether we know it or not, it is our soul opening up and reflecting that love that is beyond creation, the love of the Father. And when it comes through our heart, it comes through as the Divine Mother, her energy, her Shakti, because now it's in form, now it's in the creation. So when we love, anything with an open heart it is a process of god's love flowing through our heart and to whatever the object is that we are loving and so we are experiencing a state of union and we experience a state of oneness so when we learn to love others as god when we learn to see that light inside of another when we learn to love and interact with that, <clears throat> as opposed to the personality that we see or the appearance that we see, when we love that light, when we love that God inside of another, we are fulfilling our highest purpose. That's what we're here to do. That's the state that we were created to live in before things kind of went in a different direction. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I don't have anybody that I can love. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> go outside and feed a pigeon or something, you know, like go, there's always something you can express care for. I mean, even a guy on the street uh, yesterday, I was just standing up outside of a store and this guy, he was asking everyone, can I have a dollar? And I was like, and nobody's given him a dollar. I've watched mm. all of these people just wave him off or ignore him or whatever. And he didn't even have on a shirt he or shoes. He just had on a, a tattered pair of pants or something. And he finally comes to me and he says, can you spare a dollar? And I'd have like this massive coin compartment on the side of my wallet. I took my wallet out. I just emptied it in his hand. I was like, take everything I have, right? Because I don't carry cash on me. I, I'm very much a debit card kind of guy, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just emptied everything I had. And it, it's like he had a handful of coins. And I, I thought to myself afterwards, 
What is so difficult about that for the average person? What 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 is so difficult about just giving a few dollars here or there? What is so difficult about recognizing yourself in someone else, even if you don't like how they look or, you know, whatever the case is? Why do you care so much what they do with the money? Why do you care so much about who they could potentially be, who you, your fear of who they could be? Why do you care so much about that? You know, why is that still something that we do? Is that well, more lot, like wounding? <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of us, a lot of us are living in fear. We're living in states of fear. And we're living in states of judgment. Um, and so there are a lot of really blessed spiritual teachers, Krishnamurti is uh, among, oh, among yeah. them, yeah, who, who express that most of us, we're not actually interacting with the world. We're not actually interacting with the creation. We are interacting with our judgments and our filters about creation. Uh, and so we don't see. We're not actually seeing. We are seeing our own mental filters and we're seeing our own mental judgments. So when we see a beggar on the street, there's all kinds of judgments that form, right? Um, and for everybody, it'll be sli- it can be slightly differently, but we're going to see the judgments that we're projecting onto that beggar. We're not going to see the light that that is going to completely prevent us from seeing the light of God inside of that person. Cause you can see the light of God inside of him. You don't necessarily have to give him a dollar, but if you can see and love that you are blessing his soul. You are bringing that love into the creation through him. (coughs) Excuse me. And then we can feel pulled to do whatever it is that we feel pulled to do. You know, if we have a dollar, we can give him a dollar. We can buy him a sandwich or we don't have any money in our wallet, which is sometimes the case. Then we just bless him and pray for him. Right. But that's the, that's the, the, the problem is not, you know, he's not the problem. The problem is our own, mind. The problem is our own judgments. The problem is our own filters that we've put over our own eyes and our own perception that keeps us from seeing that. Yeah. Some kind of suffering. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It goes hand in hand with suffering. You can't have those filters. You can't have those judgments without suffering in life because it is inherent in judgment. Judgment and most mental activity separates us from the heart. It separates us from the soul. So if we're living in a world of judgments, we are inherently going to be suffering because we are not going to be living a life from the soul. We're not going to be living a life from the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) I want to know more about the divine mother. Yeah. That whole... That whole thing is you were telling me about this when we met, you were telling me about the divine mother and um, who was it that channels the divine mother? That channels her? Yeah, or it appears to this person. And, oh yeah. My friend, yeah, Philip Lippitz. It's a very interesting story. Yeah. So um, part of Swami's mission, part of the reason why he said, that the world is suffering the way that it is, is because we have forgotten the Divine Mother. We have forgotten the creator of everything. She's the creator. The Father's energy is what she uses to create. 
but she's the one taking his energy. It's when they're in union and in pure love that creation happens. And she is the consciousness that is actually creating. It's her energy that enters into everything. And because she is in everything, she's our gateway to the divine. She's our gateway to God. She is God. But she's our gateway to that state of divine union with the divine father, with that pure stillness and silence and peace and love and ability to be open-hearted no matter what happens, the way Jesus was during his crucifixion, just completely able to forgive everything and everyone that was happening. The door to enter into that state, you can call it enlightenment, you can call it heaven on earth, she is the gateway. She is the door to do that. And so we have to learn how to develop a relationship with her. And to develop a relationship with her is to develop a relationship with the world, with creation. Most spirituality for so long has either been an escape from the world, right? Or has developed into authoritarian systems where only a few people hold the key, right? Or at least they say they hold the key. Whereas the reality and part of why Jesus came was to help everybody to realize, no, this is in everything. We are connected to that and it is in everything. And we have to develop a relationship to that. We have to learn to connect to her, open our heart to her in everything. And in every form, that's the other thing. Swami would often talk about how she is the beautiful sunset. She is the beautiful blossoming flower, right? The beauty of the nature, and she is also the ferocious tiger. She's the tsunami. She is the earthquake that destroys. She is everything. Every aspect of creation is her, and she is in it. And so the way we learn to connect to her one part is by learning to love and go through the ups and downs of life with an open heart, to be open to the entire spectrum of human experience and learn to see her energy and her fragrance inside of all of it. And so part of the way that we connect to that is through having what's called darshan, of her. And darshan is when that energy of the Divine Mother actually manifests in a physical form and stands before us so that we can see her with our two eyes open. We can interact with her. She can speak with us. We can have conversations with her. Many of the great spiritual masters have had this type of relationship with her. Swami Kaleshwar had this relationship with her. He spoke with her on a regular basis. Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, Yogananda, Vivekananda, uh, Shirdi Sai Baba, many masters, Jesus also, right? This was a, a key part of his relationship to the mother. Um, and so Swami was one of the first masters who came to start to give this type of experience and mass, not just to a single student who would then take over the lineage, but to hundreds of his students. And so I, I was one of those students who was able to have that experience of having the Divine Mother appear in front of me. Uh, and it was a life-changing experience. The way he described it was when you're standing in front of her, a part of you is equal to her in that moment. A part of you is merging with infinity and in the finite at the same time. 
And so she becomes that doorway for us to connect to her energy in everything. It opens our heart. It opens our soul to be able to start to develop the relationship where she becomes our guru. The nature, the creation, her energy and everything starts to teach us and guide us and shape our life so that we can reach our highest potential. And in one particular case, uh, there was one student named Philip Lippitz who... um, one of the forms of the mother that appeared to him was Mother Mary. And she started appearing regularly to him. And she started telling him the stories of the Old Testament. And she started teaching him all about Jesus and the purpose that he served and how he was the very first incarnation on the planet that had the ability to completely reflect the love of the Father without any shadow, without any karma, And that by entering into a human form, he completely transformed the possibility of what it meant to be human. And from that moment onwards, anybody could experience that. Anybody could enter into that. uh, And everybody had the potential to do that through the Christ consciousness that is present in everything. When the, yeah, I don't, I'll stop there actually, because like I said, I can. I can go down some pretty deep rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a pretty intense story to unpack. Honestly, it's a big rabbit hole. Um, is there anything else you'd like to expand on? Sorry. I've got a chicken on my lap now. You know, I, I told you they're everywhere, David. They, like they're everywhere. Oh man. They just, that's... they don't, they can't live without me. They'll follow me everywhere. That's really <laughs> sweet. That's really sweet. Um, that seeing her that's an experience that anybody can have seeing her in a physical form that's an experience that anybody can have. Um, she becomes, like I said, the, the doorway for us to learn how to connect to her in everything. To start to feel and sense her fragrance and her presence in everything. And like I was saying before, the the key there is to learn to see her in the most challenging and the most difficult. Because it's relatively easy to see her in the beauty. Right? It's easier to see her in the things that touch our heart and that are beautiful. But she is equally present in the tragedies and horrors of the world. And that's why she's so important right now. Because of the level of tragedies and horrors that are happening, which, by the way, are happening for our own benefit, to awaken, to turn to God. They only happen. The level of catastrophes that we see happening on the planet, the level of wars that we see happening, are only because people turn away from God. They place their individual will above God's will. And then the egos take us down a path of conflict 
and uh, and exploitation, right? That lead us to where we are today, where the very nature itself is reacting to us living an ego-based life, where egos fighting egos lead to situations like what's happening in the war in Ukraine and what's happening in Israel and Gaza at the moment. If we don't start to relate to her in our enemies, if we don't start to see her light existing in every single other human being, humanity will only go further in this direction. But the moment that we start to see that she exists in those natural catastrophes, that she exists in those mutilated bodies that were murdered over the weekend by Hamas, that she exists inside of Hamas, we don't condone the behavior, but we can see that the essence inside of that person is the essence inside of that person is that same energy and it's that same light, and we can love that. And when we love that, when we let go of our judgments, which, by the way, goes back to what we were saying earlier, we must clear our blocks in order to be able to do this. And if we ask her for help, any divine form for help, she will help us to do that so that we can start to see that. And once we can start to see that and we start to love that in every single form, we love it in the challenges and difficulties in our own life, in our own relationships, we're able to see that and love that in every single story that we hear on the news, including all of the tragedy, when we can start to see that in the people who have died, that their soul is immortal, untouched by the horror of what happened. It may have been incredibly painful to their mind and their heart and some aspect of their soul, but the immortal part of their soul was never touched by that. And if we learn how to connect to that and love that, then we are actually turning all of these things into portals and doorways for God's love to enter into the creation. And when we do that through all these horrible situations and all the divine situations, then that's when we start to bring a massive level of God's love into the world, which is what the world needs to transform. And the more and more people we have who awaken and are able to do this, Right? We don't just need people to have inner experiences spiritually. This is not enough. This will not change the planet. We need to have people who awaken spiritually and learn to open their hearts to everything, open their souls to everything, and learn how to connect to the divine inside of everything. Because now we have more and more souls who then just pull God's love through all these scenarios until the whole world is enveloped in this love and it starts to transform the consciousness of the entire human race. That's why she's so important. Yeah, that that's a really great way to bring this whole thing to an end. Honestly, I would leave people with that to ponder on and think about it because I don't know about you, but I, I hear a lot of people... They leverage this concept as an excuse that I alone can't make a change to anything that's happening. I'm powerless to change the war or anything like that. It's like, well, don't make it about the war. Don't try to immerse yourself into that world. Figure out where you can balance that with your own actions. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly right. We can, you know, it's, 
can just can we connect to God through everything? Can we learn to see the divine in everything and every aspect of life? Because then we don't need to change anything. Then we don't need to do anything. Then it's not our responsibility. Just the act of developing that connection to God through whatever is presenting itself to us allows God to come through and take care. Yeah, I feel like if I had to explain it using apples and oranges, I'd be like, if you, okay, you have a basket of apples over here. You have a basket of oranges over here. The oranges are evil. Put some more apples in this basket. These apples are good. <laughs> you know, like just very simplistically. See, see things as the way you would like them to be. Figure it, because that's the only way you're going to act in a way to create change. You know, I think people. But I mean, think more, is, more is expected of them. I, I would say that even in the oranges that are acting evilly, the divine is there also. Right. You no. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So we do need yeah. more apples who are able to see that, right? Because then that's what enables the oranges to transform. Yeah. Exactly. Balance that ratio. Exactly. And that's, that's also what we need in our life also. Because once we're able to do that, then that's when she flows into our life. When we're able to love in that way, then that's, way, that's when she fills our life. And when she is filling our life, because she is the creator, the creatrix that is creating everything, she's able to create in our life whatever it is that we need. That's what fills our life with abundance. That's what fills our life with prosperity. That's what fills our life with happiness. That's what transforms us. And when we learn what's inside of us and what it is that we want to create and what divine impulses we have, then when we start to live in alignment with her in everything, then she starts to, through us, create those desires and those impulses which are divinely inspired, right? which come from our soul, and then we start to see incredible things happen in our life. That's where we're <laughs> going to leave it. <laughs> I think we've given people so much to think about in this episode, but I will definitely invite you to come and talk with me some more about anytime about any about anything. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, this is really good insight because I feel like you have this remarkable ability, David, to take all of these concepts of spirituality and, you know, knowledge of the divine and all these different things and just put it in a way that the average person can understand, you know, because that's a lot of what I see out there these days because we're now in a time where spirituality has been hijacked somehow mm. by the internet <laughs> and it's turning these same spiritual concepts on their head and creating selfish people where they say things like, Oh, well, I I'm not in alignment with you. So I don't want to talk to you or something That's like exactly that. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now we have to relate yeah. to each other. We have to find ways to, to, to bridge and create union. Even if the other yeah. person isn't willing, we can do yeah. that on our own, on a heart level. Yeah, it's really silly. We all come from the same place. 
So we're automatically in alignment, whether they want to like, you know, like that or not. <laughs> People are going to differ from you. People are going to have different opinions, different lifestyles. And um, again, we have the power to see the mother, as you say, and through our actions, be, you know, make a change to that. But we can't control other people. We can't. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we don't need world, to. You know? No, it's not our responsibility to try to, you know, control things or manipulate things into the way that we would like them to be. Just be cool. <laughs> Just be cool. Yeah, let, let God's will be done, you know. Yeah. Let, let, let God work through every single thing on earth and let's give the responsibility mm -hmm. to, to God. Let's give the responsibility to the mother to create what she wants to create and to be instruments of that creation as opposed to feeling like we have to be the ones making everything happen. Yeah, you're so right. And there's one thing <coughs> I almost forgot. And uh, it's interesting how you were giving us that really great um, concept because what I have found is I work with people's programming to see exactly what, what, what are the exact statements that they believe, right? Yeah. And a lot of it is not knowing the creator of all that is. Yes. It's, it's not understanding what it feels like to be totally connected to the creator. That's right. And many of them are. Uh, very spiritual people they've been meditating for years they've been into the, some of the same concepts you're unpacking or you know other things and um they, they still don't have these very basic programs that we should all have and i still haven't been able to pinpoint at what what time in their lives these were changed uh, i think that's probably the right wording for it I wouldn't say taken from them or uninstalled, but it just changed somehow. It's like, I don't understand what it feels like to trust that the creator exists, that the creator supports me. Uh, it's an interesting thing that's happening right now. So I think it begins there for a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. A, a, yeah. A lot of people are carrying this, this programming that, I don't understand what it feels like to even deserve the love of the creator of all that is, which is bizarre to me, <laughs> you know? Well, many, many of us, we've been carrying that for lifetimes, lifetimes yeah. and lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes. These are deep grooves that we've developed that are, mm -hmm. that are hard to move out of, but our soul knows. And that, that's what creates that, that search to begin with in so many people is that, that, that soul pull to return to the divine. And we have that opportunity now. Everything that I've heard from Swami Kaleshwar and many other traditions is that the time is now. The time to be able to connect to the divine is now. The doors are opening. The energy is entering the planet. Right now, the ability to connect directly to the divine, and that's the key, right? Not to study spirituality conceptually, but to have direct experience. Yeah. To know for oneself right and connect to the soul wisdom directly yeah application comes before wisdom <laughs> all right so david where can we find you so right now uh, my website is soulcenteredfounder.com 
that's where I do the coaching work that I do with entrepreneurs, but really it's open to anybody who feels like they've had a call. They have a calling in this world uh, and they have a pull to live in connection and in alignment with their soul and with the divine, but they're struggling to do so uh, in any aspect of their life. And I invite anybody who feels that way to just reach out. There's a, there's a way to book a free call at the bottom. And I'm always open to have a conversation with anybody who feels a pull to do so. Awesome. David, thanks for being on the Boundless Authenticity podcast. Jehan, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. You're welcome. We'll do it again. Looking forward to it.